Hang on there one second. Let's go ahead and take a minute to pay the bills. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had so many questions. How do I record an episode? Where do I find background music? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places that you like to listen to podcasts? Where do I find advertisers? The answer to every single one of those questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing, and monetizing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and 100% ridiculously easy to use. So if you're always wanted to start a podcast, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. The following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fact. And here's your host, CJ Newman. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fat. The NFL is consistently changing all the time, and there's consistently news that is always going to be coming out. So until the NFL stops changing, until there's football that's not changing, I will be here every week to talk about football with you guys. So this week, I've got uh, Sean Alvishire coming on to talk with me about some football. We're going to cover some topics, including the Miami Dolphins, what we could do to fix them, uh, New Orleans Saints, what's going on with Drew Brees. We're going to talk a little bit about the draft coming up and whatever the hell else comes up to our minds. So this week... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my man, Sean Albashire. And welcome back to the FAP, ladies and gentlemen. This week, I've got former Capologist Departmental uh, Miami Dolphins employee, Sean Albashire, joining me back on the show. Sean, how the hell have you been? I've been great. How you been doing? I can't complain, man. Uh, just recently, I finished up my uh, bachelor's degree requirements, so I'm moving on and moving up. So, uh I saw that. That was great. I saw you. Uh, um, yeah, you were all finished up, and now you're trying to to try to get get the next stage of your life going. So uh, that, that that's great to hear. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's great to hear, but a bittersweet at the same time. Got to pay back those student loans at some point. So I, <laughs> I, got, I got a year before I can uh, uh, before I have to start paying back to that. So I'll, I'll sit here and dwell on my uh, glory until then. But. Uh, so what's what's going on with right. you lately, man? Live, live large for the next twelve months. I, I definitely will. So the family been good to you, man? <laughs> is uh, everything be good in the area there? Yeah, life is good. You know, it's been uh, you know getting focused uh, here with free agency, and then uh, obviously we got the draft coming up. So uh, you know, my wife is a uh, monster New Orleans Saints fan, so she's kind of uh, getting a little more. She's not you or me or the posse, but uh, she does now all of a sudden like, you know, poke her head around, just just checking, checking in. And uh, so I told her that uh, <laughs> that they just uh, looks like they're going to sign Jared Cook. And she was like, great. Who's he? <laughs> so <laughs> she's, she's there, but not there yet. You know, so. 
I hear you. And we'll definitely be talking about the Saints in a little bit. But uh, right before we started recording here, man, we got some breaking news I think we need to cover. Uh, looks like a former great tight end, now former great tight end, uh, Rob Gronkowski has announced his retirement. The uh, gentleman here has uh, 7,861 all-purpose yards, uh, 521 receptions. His career lasted for quite a few years. He's, he's only 29 years old. What do you think about this? Do you think this was a uh, move by Bill Belichick trying to push him out before it was too late? Do you think he was just hurting? What do you, what do you think happened with Rob Gronkowski here? Um, without any true knowledge, just, just, you know, kind of spinning it forward and trying to analyze the retirement. I think it was the, the toll on his body. If you remember when he came out of college, you know, he had, uh, he was a little bit prone to injuries already. That's why he kind of slipped and fell and the Patriots were able to jump on him. And then throughout his uh, New England career, you know, he, even when he was 23, 24, I mean, he has always had this, when he's on the field, he's the most dominant, you know, force, you know, possibly in football, especially when he was younger. And, but that was when he was on the field. So I think that, you know, our minds always are, have recency bias and, you know, we, we, uh, we always think of things in terms of the now and everything's the greatest now and everyone for, you know, his careers kind of blur into one big mesh of statistics, but he was always in and out. And I think he is a very old 29. He is not a Tom Brady 40. <laughs> and uh, and so I think, let's face it. I mean, if you have options off the field and that's you, I think players today are a little more savvy in regards to their body and where they'll be in their fifties and sixties. And I think Gronk can have a career and life outside of football. And I think he's thinking about the next 40, 50 years of his life. So it's sad as a football fan, uh, not that, uh, you know, any of us are Patriots fans, you know, LOL, but uh, (laughs) the it's, it's, it's sad because I mean, you know, I'm I mean, during this run of Gronkowski, maybe there was a three-year window there when Jimmy Graham was with the Saints that it was who's the best tight end. I mean, they were that dominant. But I think time has shown that Gronkowski, you know, not only has been the best tight end of this era, he will go down as one of the best tight ends ever to play the position and – you know, it's sad at one thing, but uh, good for him. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of Patriot haters out there that are thrilled that he's retired. <laughs> They're just waiting for Brady now. <laughs> oh, man, I am one of them. Trust me. I, I am happy to see that uh, Mr. Gronkowski's retiring before it's too late, uh, for one thing. I'm happy that he's uh, 
He's he's definitely had the injury bug over the past couple of years, and I don't know if you've seen it over the past couple of years, but he's had this contraption on his arm that just it's limited his mobility with his arm. So I was just curious how much longer he was going to push forward with just that particular injury. And then he's had spinal issues. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's had knee and leg issues. The uh, the issues at injury have just been crawling and creeping up on him over the past couple of years. So it was only a matter of time before he was uh, ready to hang him up. I just didn't think it was going to be before 30. The guy's the same age as me. He's actually only two days older than me. So um, he was born May 14th. So his birthday is coming up soon and he'll be uh, 30 in just two months. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little sad to see that he's going to be uh, hanging up the boots here because uh, other than Kelsey right now, I really don't see that dominant of a tight end out there. He's uh, He's got the stature. He's freakishly large he is very quick for his size too i mean that guy can just run down the field and he'll stiff arm somebody like it's nobody's business so i'll miss that uh, force on the field every weekend and i'll miss him in fantasy football too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we all uh you know uh i'm in a keeper league i've been in a keeper league for about 25 years and uh oh, it'll be good to me. see gronkowski it'll be good to see gronkowski go because i've never had him on my team so a chink in the armor in one of my uh one of our one of my opponents in my league but uh you know, I was even just thinking as you were talking, Super Bowl 46, I mean, he was injured and, you know, he got injured. And remember, he played that game basically as a decoy the entire Super Bowl, you know. So it, it, it's, it, you know, that was seven years ago when, he, you know, he was injured going into, you know, a Super Bowl. So he is just unfortunately been extremely unlucky you know, with the toll that this game has taken on his body and, uh, you know, good for him. I'm glad he's making the decision now. If he thinks that if he believes that playing more football is just only going to be more damaging to his body and he is mentally prepared for retirement, which, you know, I don't think anyone's ever used the term mentally prepared and Rob Gronkowski in the same sentence, but I just did. So I'm wishing him nothing but the best. I, I wish him nothing but the best too. It's uh it's a damn shame, like I kept saying, but um he'll he'll find a way to get some money after this is all said and done. Uh, I think uh, Florio says the best. Could you imagine him doing a cruise and him just being him? He you know, not only that, you know, I could just see him in, you know, like Adam Sandler movies or, you know, some, you know, you know just be, just Gronk being Gronk. I mean, yeah, I mean, I could see cruises with him. I could see you know, comedy. I mean, I could see him doing yeah, a stand up. Uh, yeah, he's he's already been in WWE. Everything. So it should be uh, pretty interesting his uh, his off season his his coming up of uh, retirement what he's going to be able to do um, acting he's he's tried uh, the acting bug before so maybe he can actually perfect it this time I don't know if you saw the role that he was in before but uh, he's he was not that gracious of an actor so hopefully he's able to improve upon that if he wants to continue down that road maybe it'll become the Rock one day who knows Yeah I, I would I would I would imagine he would be <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't see that quite happening <laughs> for for Gronk. I could see maybe some sort of uh, slapstick, 
comedies kinds of things that might that might be in his lane. <laughs> so well, yeah, you um, hit the nail on the head with Adam Sandler. I mean, that would be perfect for him. That's his style of humor. That's his style of talking. I mean, the the guy chuckles every time he hears the number sixty nine. So what the hell? Him and Kevin from The Office. Yes. <laughs> So uh, that's the big news for today. Um, let's go ahead and talk about some of the other things that have happened in the NFL uh, recently. Unless you want to cover anything else with Kronk or you want to. No, no, we're good. All right. Let's 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 go ahead and talk about uh, the Miami Dolphins, the place you used to call home, man. So um, Ryan Tannehill was traded not too long ago to the Tennessee Titans for a uh, along with a six round pick for and five million dollars in cash. For a seventh round pick and a fourth round pick, um, want to spin this to the future because this has already obviously happened already. So, um, do you think that he's going to supplant Mariota in uh, Tennessee, or do you think there's a chance that he's just going to sit as a backup? Do you think he even makes the 53 man roster coming up? What do you think for uh, Tannehill's future? Well, I think he'll make the roster. If he's healthy, he'll make the roster. <laughs> the I I was never as much of a Tannehill hater as. Many Dolphin fans were. Um, that said, he has a ceiling. I think anyone that follows football knows he has a ceiling. I think the real question is in Tennessee is Marcus Mariota. Is Mariota going to be a franchise quarterback? I I don't think he will be personally. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's kind of in that middling teens range. Um, But that said, I just don't see him evolving as a passer. You know, the Tennessee offense, I don't see evolving into – uh, something that scares NFL defenses. I don't think Mariota is someone that scares NFL defense, nor do I think Tannehill scares NFL defenses. So I think both guys are injury prone, <laughs> but I think Tennessee made a wise decision to, you know, maybe uh, get a $2 million insurance policy and, you know, unload a fourth round pick. So I think it was a good move for Tennessee. Will it change anything in the uh, uh, you know in the AFC South I don't know if it really is going to affect the meter a whole lot more I think the real thing with Tennessee is always is going to be did Derrick Henry find something there in the last five games of last year and if that happens and he becomes some sort of force and it wasn't just an aberration that could help the quarterback play in Tennessee and they could become you know, a much more viable contender for the playoffs on the dolphin side. <laughs> you know, I worked there in 2003, 2004, and it's almost like nothing has changed with that organization. It's this is just another decision in a series of horrible decisions, not Tannehill, but just, putting them all together over the course of the last decade. It's obvious they can't talk about, you know, the T word and tanking, but this is as egregious 
a move that I've seen an NFL team take. I mean, they are just not even trying to hide it. And why Brian Flores took this job, I will not know. This is where coaches go to die. And I wish him nothing but the best. I've heard a couple interviews, one, you know, with uh, Peter King and then on his podcast and Florio interviewed him uh, a couple weeks ago, I think when he was at um, the combine, he seems like, you know, a heck of an NFL mind, a football mind, but you know, we could go through the list of, Tony Sperano, you know, may he rest in peace. Cam Cameron, Dave Wanstead. I mean, we can go through. I mean, heck, even the Jimmy Johnson got ate up by the Dolphins. I mean, this is just a weird place for coaches. It's a, you know, Bermuda Triangle where nothing they try seems to work. It is a bastion of short-term thinking over the last 15 years, 20 years, and it doesn't seem to be changing. I know it's, let's, we're going to rebuild. We're like, now the new rebuild is going to be like, basically have 53 players that are as good as you and me and start from literal scratch. But... Hang on there, man. Uh, that hot fire you just spit is actually melting my headphones, so I need to change my headphones out here. Uh, okay, we're good to go. That hot fire was just something else, man. I hope you don't plan on going back to the Dolphins as far as say uh, job is concerned, because you just blew that bridge the fuck up. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure <laughs> no one's going to be calling me, so I, I feel confident that uh, I'm I'm safe in those regards, or I was before this podcast, but. It's I just <laughs> it, it it just baffles me what it's they're doing down there. Right now. It's all yeah, it is. and now the now the now now the big selling point's going to be okay, we're finally not gonna have short term thinking. We're gonna do a complete rebuild with Brian Flores, we're getting rid of Tannehill, you know, we're getting anybody that has any talent whatsoever. <laughs> So go all in and do, are they, you know, are they, you know, I heard the whole tank for Tua is a big thing going on down in, in Miami right now. Um, you know, do you wait two years and do you wait uh, for the, you know, do you wait for the kid out of Clemson? You know, it's, uh, it, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like every time teams, especially in football, try to go this route, the only team I have ever seen hang on through the just hang on through it was in another league, which was the Philadelphia 76ers. They took the heat for three, four years tanking. Yeah, trust the process. Right. But at least they stuck to it. I mean, it's very it's easy to say, let's tank and rebuild them. We're going to rebuild through the draft. But then the media starts you know, and then you have people worried about their jobs. And, uh, you know, those those are factors in a rebuild that cloud decision making. And it just seems like every time the Dolphins decide to start over, everything seems like it's 
on a rebuild and then people start getting antsy, whether it be GMs, assistant GMs, heads of pro scouting, heads of college scouting, the head coach himself, they start getting antsy three years in when, you know, they have a record like Hugh Jackson. And so all of a sudden short-term thinking starts affecting it. And all of a sudden they start making free agent moves and this, and then all of a sudden you got this hodgepodge roster that you didn't want and didn't plan for. And then the next thing you know, everybody's gone and here we go again. And it just seems like another here we go again with the Dolphins. That's just my opinion. And you're on the right track. I, I truly believe that. Uh, one of my regular guests uh, at the Royal Forno, Tyler, one of our good friends, uh, for, friend of the show indeed, uh, has asked mm-hmm. a question to me to ask you. And this is actually um, pretty relative. If you were in the GM seat, what would you do from here on out to start this rebuilding process and try to get this going as soon as possible? What would you be doing right now? As of today, like, let's take the situation as it is today. Yes. Well, they have. Would you try to avoid Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract? Well, Mike Florio made a good point that Ryan Fitzpatrick is nothing more than a distraction to the general public that. Hey, look, we're really not quote unquote tanking because, you know, we would have had Jake Rudock starting next year if we were truly tanking, but we're not. We went out and got Ryan Fitzpatrick. And oh, let's remember last year he beat the Saints in game one. So he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. And remember six years ago when he played for the Bills, I mean, that is nothing more than. Just PR. Yeah, Mm. it's it's, it's a PR move. So let's just take that as what it is. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to play this year or, you know, let's just go with that. The question then becomes they have uh, the – I believe they have – I think it's the 13th pick in the draft this year. You are correct. The the question then comes – What do you do? I am a believer that the only time you take offensive linemen in the NFL draft is if you have your franchise quarterback. If you don't have that quarterback, drafting offensive linemen is, you know, it's it's the equivalent of, you know, putting peanut butter and jelly, you know, on your hands. And because you don't have any bread, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 pointless to me. I've if never heard have, that analogy. That is fucking awesome. <laughs> the, so, if I were the Dolphins personally, I think that you have to identify a quarterback. I think you need to identify, and I think you have to identify edge rushers. And I would start there. There's this whole idea, I think, today that, you know, it's inside out and you got to develop. I think you can get interior linemen. I think you can get offensive linemen. Okay. You know, if Jonathan Ogden's sitting there at three, great. But you can develop 
offensive lineman. Look at the Patriots last year. I think during the Super Bowl, they showed a graphic of their five offensive linemen. Heck, the guy they drafted last year got hurt. They went out and got somebody else. Um, I can't think of his name offhand, but he just, you know, got a big free agent contract with San Francisco. If so, I would I would say that they would need to focus on edge rushers with the first round receivers and a quarterback in this year's draft. If they're going to stay at 13, they have to identify if one of the big three quarterbacks is still, if Haskins, Kyler Murray or drew lock is sitting there at 13. I think they absolutely have to draft them, but this is what I would say. How long did it take for, not, not Andy Reid, not Sean Payton. How long did it take C.J. Newman to realize Pat Mahomes could play? Honestly, I, I saw it back in college, but I was very hesitant uh, back then because of the competition he had. But uh, it took me. No, 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 no. I, I'm not. I don't mean that, C.J. I mean when once in the NFL. Like when you saw him playing in the NFL, how long did it take for you to go? This guy, this guy can play, and he is going to be a difference maker in the NFL. Did it take two games, five games, preseason, game seven one. games, a half? <laughs> what preseason game one? Right, that probably that throw that Florio talks about that he had the the fifty sixty yard throw that he had. Um, I think it was against the 49ers on the road, and it was just like, okay, yeah, yeah. My, this is my it. point. This is my point with drafting a quarterback. You draft them. You let's say let's just hypothetically say Murray goes to the Cardinals. Let's just assume Haskins goes to the Giants. I mean that's just conventional wisdom. We don't know, but let's just assume that happens. Let's say Denver passes on Locke. I don't think they will, but let's just say for this argument, Locke is there at thirteen, or for this argument, the Dolphins trade up somehow and get above Denver at ten. You draft. You let's say you draft your Locke. You're going to be, in my opinion, you're going to be able to tell in preseason, eight games into the regular season, a game into the regular season. Is this guy going to be a difference maker? Is this guy, does this guy have it, right? You can't train it. You're, you can't coach it. You can't, you're not going to take Ryan Tannehill and make him it. You're not going to take Ryan Fitzpatrick or, you know, credit John Elway, Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch never took a snap. You know why? Because they knew day two probably that, oh God, what the hell did we, <laughs> what do we got here? I mean, he never took a snap in Denver for God's sakes. If you don't have him, then next year, you draft Tua. And if Tua ain't it, you, you, you see what my point is? I just think these NFL teams get too caught up in they, they, they make their selection for a quarterback. And then, okay, we can't admit it was a mistake and take another quarterback next year. I'm, I'm of the opinion you just <laughs> keep drafting quarterbacks. And so what? So what if you have, you know, you're on a rookie wage scale. It's just the way the current NFL structure is until you get that guy. Everything else is almost irrelevant. 
So let's skip around a little bit uh, now that you're talking about uh, admitting to mistakes and whatnot. Um, so say you're Steve Keim and you've got the number one pick uh-huh. overall. And uh, Cliff Kingsbury is your new head coach. He's been uh, very high on uh, Kyler Murray. Do you admit you made a mistake last year and uh, go ahead and yes. draft Kyler Murray? Really? Absolutely. I I know when you listen to some of the draft Knicks, who some of them I truly do respect, such as um, you know Daniel Jeremiah. I think is a really really good. Um, thinking man scout, but, and I know even he had Rosen ranked higher than any quarterback in this year's draft. Okay. That said, I never saw anything out of Rosen at UCLA that said leader that, you know, he might have like a ton of physical tools, but you know, I never, you know, saw, the this ability to take over and I certainly didn't see it last year in Arizona and if you can get value for Rosen trade him and go after Murray and if Murray doesn't work you know chances are you're going to be kind of in the same position next year if it's this time you you draft another guy I mean I just think NFL teams get a little too uh, sacrosanct with these quarterback picks and give these guys way too much time to develop. I mean, the Dolphins should have – they should have been moving on from Tannehill, you know, a couple years ago. I mean, I know that he had that one really good year under Adam Gase. They should have signed him. Period. Right, right then and there, that should have been moving on. And I feel like Adam Gase and management, I don't know, they're like, well, maybe if he comes back, so then let's, this is where the, the short term hodgepodge thinking comes. We would have made the, or they made the playoffs that year with Matt Moore. Um, they were able to sneak in and before they lost to the Steelers. But you see my point. So I think if, if Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury, or like, you know what, Rosen, he still has value. I don't think he's going to fit. I don't think he has it. I don't think he's going to get us to where we need to be, especially in that division. <laughs> so move on, get Kyler Murray, and let's let's see what Kyler Murray brings to it. And I think that from a standpoint of selling tickets – Kyler Murray is going to be a heck of a lot more marketable in the Arizona market as far as putting fannies in the seats than Josh Rosen ever will. I mean, do you disagree? Well, I don't really know too, too much about Josh Rosen. He's probably one of the ones that I did not do too much research on last year out of the five first rounders from last year. I got to tell you, just based on what he did last year, I, I got to disagree with Florio on this. I don't think he passed the eyeball test. I, I don't think he, uh, he I think honestly he may have been the worst out of all five of those uh, quarterbacks in the first round from last year. And that class had Lamar Jackson in it. So it's saying something. I, I absolutely agree. I think that Lamar Jackson surprised me last year. And I, I don't know. I just never, 
I feel like when these draft evaluators, and this is a good, like, this is a good, met, uh, this is a, uh, maybe a good apples to apples comparison with Drew Locke. He's got all the ability, all the talent in the world, but Missouri was a very, <laughs> they were an okay team this year. When you listen to Chris Sims, you know, he always sits there and says, you know, he's in love with Drew Locke. And he says, you have to evaluate the 10 other guys. What talent did he have around him? I start feeling like when you start having to shoehorn excuses into your evaluation to get the evaluation to where you want it, that's where I feel like there is some wiggle room for the general public to go – uh, I don't know. I, I know he says he's 100% sold on him, but he's kind of making excuses for the guy. He's like, this guy is amazing, but, oh, he didn't really have the talent around him or this, that, the other. You know, whereas let's use Patrick Mahomes. A good example was I remember when Florio did that interview with the general manager from the Kansas City Chiefs. He said in the what impressed them was in the bowl game is, yes, they were undermanned, but Mahomes – kept them in that bowl game. He kept them relevant, even though they were clearly overmanned or undermanned. To me, you're not making excuses for the quarterback doing the evaluation. And I feel sometimes when you hear the, you know, the, 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 I guess the draft Nick industrial complex talk about the upcoming draft, when they start, hedging their evaluations a little on things that weren't the player's fault. I feel like that's their out to, as a someone consuming it saying, yeah, they're not as a hundred percent confident as they claim to be on, on a uh, particular uh, prospect. But in this world, you need a quarterback quarterbacks are dra- way overdrafted as we know. To your point, Rosen and Lamar Jackson were probably overdrafted a little bit, uh, but you need a quarterback. So, <laughs> well, you know, but a, my uh, feeling is if you. There's a similar story to that. Uh, I don't know if you know the story behind this in Baltimore. Uh, back when Brian Billick was the head coach here, he was uh, looking at a particular quarterback out of West, uh, Western uh, United States. He was saying, man, this this quarterback is really good, but uh, he didn't have any uh, wide receivers and his, his offensive line was crumbling all the time. But I still think we should give him a chance. And that began the Kyle Bowler era in Baltimore. So yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. It, it's it's exactly. This guy's amazing. Well, why didn't he do anything in college? Well, you know, he really didn't have good coaching and this and that. And the other. Like to me, when that starts to happen, I feel like run. When you start providing excuses in your evaluation, uh, it's to me a red flag. So uh, when I heard Sims talk about, you got to evaluate all 11, not just the quarterback. To me, that spoke volumes to me about Drew Locke. Now, I could be wrong. I'm just saying you don't hear people say that about Kyler Murray. You know, you know, you hear a pretty honest evaluation, like against Alabama in the national semis. He definitely looked a little overwhelmed in the first quarter, but the last three quarters he looked – 
great. Now you could argue they were down 28 to nothing. So he had nothing to lose. So maybe he calmed down a little bit, but you know, you don't, you're not, you're not hearing those kinds of evaluations when it comes to Kyler Murray. And I, I don't understand the dislike for Haskins. You know, the guy can throw the football. I mean, but, you know, he's not evolved. You know, he's certainly not one of these super mobile, exciting guys. So maybe that's where there's some, you know, everybody wants the next Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, you know, guy that can run all around and chuck at 70 yards and just, you know, light up sports center. But, uh, you know, Haskins is about as boring as it gets. He's probably a poor man's Joe Flacco in many ways, but, you know, 50 touchdowns in 12 games in your senior year. I mean, that's, you know, I remember when they played your beloved Maryland, Maryland had that game one and Haskins damn near by sheer will got Ohio state that victory. There was no way Ohio state should have won that game. But Haskins was just he just made, he just willed it to happen. Yeah, thanks for rubbing that one in. I really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. Ass. <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely remember that one. It was pretty close too. I was uh, I was like, man, let's 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 do this. And then of course, fucking OSU pulls it out. God damn it. Whatever. Yeah, don't you know? Uh, just non sequitur here, but isn't it funny? Like when your if your favorite team is an underdog to an opponent and they, and I'm sure everyone has experienced this at some level, you know, and they get a big lead. Like it's at halftime or middle of the third quarter. Don't you start staring at the clock and it's just like the clock starts moving. Yeah. Well, last is like, because you just are just assuming that, because you're the underdog and you're undermanned that this other team is going to, it's going to happen. They're going to come back. And all of a sudden that clock just does not run nearly as fast as it was moving uh, before. And that, that's kind of what I felt like in that Ohio state Maryland game was like, man, Maryland, this game should be over, but boy, they're just all this time is left for Ohio State to come back and it just seemed like it was just that game was just going on and on and on. Whereas if it was flipped, you know, you don't expect Maryland to come back in that game and oh yeah, the game's over, you know, just clock is running normal all of a sudden. I don't know why that is, but I think as a fan, you start to get tense <laughs> trying to will your team to victory. But anyway, just non sequitur there. That's what it's got to feel like to be a Falcons fan a couple years ago. Yes, exactly. I, exactly. Oof. That was a hard Super Bowl to watch. I was I was personally looking at the clock the whole time, and I'm not even a Falcons fan. But I'm like, man, this this game should be fucking over. Wait, the points are accumulating. Shit, it's about to go into overtime. Fuck, Patriots won. Great. I'll, I'll tell you when it started to appear the Patriots were getting it together in that Super Bowl. I'll admit, I started rooting for the comeback. I started rooting for the story. I was like, man. Yeah, at that point, 
I didn't really care who won the game. I was more interested in, I want to see this happen. I want to be alive and I want to see something of this magnitude. I want to witness I, something that's never been done before. So I know like Florio and Dan Patrick always talk about, you start rooting for the story more than a team winning. And I know in that Super Bowl, I really it wasn't that I wanted the Patriots to win. It could have been anybody. I just wanted to see the comeback. And so while it might have killed you, <laughs> I was actually at that point, I would say a Patriots fan. I was a story fan and I was rooting for the story in that game in the second half. I didn't have a dog in the hunt, to be honest with you. I didn't care if a freaking plane crashed into the place, to be honest with you. But, um, <laughs> I, it it was just hard to watch the Patriots get yet another Super Bowl win, and knowing that some of the other ones were tarnished by uh, gates of some sort, and uh, just knowing that they were at the time at five was just a little frustrating to me. But um, that's non sequitur, as you said. Um, <laughs> so let me tell you what I would do personally if I was Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury in their situation. Yeah. I would keep Josh Rosen, but I would still draft Kyler Murray and have them battle it out in training camp and through the preseason. And then towards the end of the preseason, trade off whoever didn't win the competition. What do you think about that? I I think if you draft Kyler Murray, you have to be all in on Kyler Murray. If you think Rosen can still be your quarterback. You use that pick for something else. Either you trade, you let Gruden get him and get more. I mean, if I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that if you can get multiple picks, if, if you can get two of the Raiders or three picks from the Raiders, um, if Gruden truly absolutely is just in love with Murray, you do that. And then you stick with Rosen. If you're not a believer in Rosen, I think you try to get something for Rosen. You know, there's, there's no shortage of teams that might give you something for Rosen still. I mean, I don't know if the dolphins would, but you know, there, there's some teams out there that probably would entertain trading for him, uh, that need a quarterback. Um, but I, I, I feel like with the quarterback position, you just go all in. I mean, you just don't battle it out. I feel like it sends mixed messages to the players. I don't like you pit. You might even pit the locker room uh, against each other, rooting for one or the other. I think you got to have a leader. They all have to. Your locker room has to rally around that leader, and you have to, as an organization, commit to them. But I feel like. For your locker room, if you identify that the guy ain't it, you got to move on. And I feel that that's the biggest problem in NFL. Well, Sean, I'm just or organization. Saying, I'm just saying you root for the story, and that competition well, is one hell of a story. Well, yes, if you yes, if that's what you're looking for, then yes, it would be definitely Peyton's place if you had them all the roster battling it out. So to be fair, yes, uh, you, you did call me out on that one. Yes, it would be a story. That would be one hell of a story. But um, yeah, thinking about it, I would still at that point draft Kyler Murray and I'd figure out a way at some point 
to dump Josh Rosen, probably, unless this would light a spark under Josh Rosen's ass and they can actually show that he's better than Kyler Murray. That's just my perspective. I would personally love to see a competition between the two, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not sure if Kyler Murray is going to happen in Arizona. I It could lean either way at this point. I, they had their private meeting with Kyler Murray, so it, who knows? Uh, if you had to guess right hey, now, like, what like do you Florio think? Says, if, if, like Florio says, if I'm always wary when teams do things that are public. You know, he says, if if you know about it, they're lying. If they tell you about it, they're lying. If they're not saying anything, then that's what you really need to be looking for. You need to be paying attention to the other hand. There may be – this may be a great sleight of hand by using Cliff Kingsbury and his offense in Texas Tech to – go all in on a PR front that they're taking Kyler Murray and it it might force the hand of somebody to go all in and all you need is somebody to be convinced. And maybe the, you know, you might be right. Maybe the Cardinals privately think Rosen can run Kingsbury's offense, but this is all a smoke screen to get somebody to overpay Uh, to get to the number one. And when you think of it that way, it makes total sense what they're doing. It makes total sense that they are all in on drafting Kyler Murray. And they have every mock draft has them going to Arizona. Everyone is just assuming that's what's going to happen. Maybe that's just what the Cardinals want. And, you know, maybe it's just a ruse to get somebody on draft day to make an offer to move to number one. So we'll have to see, but I think you got to make, you pick a horse. If it's Rosen, great trade, trade the pick. And you got to get something out of this year's draft and start making that roster better. I I don't know if using the number one pick when you have uh, some of these edge rushers that are sitting there, or if you can move down and, you know, there's a lot of talk that the this is a deep draft that might not have a, a lot of sexy big picks at the top, but this is a good three, four round draft as far as quality players for your roster. You know, I think I mean, I think we can both agree the Cardinals are more than just a quarterback away from competing with the Rams and the 49ers and uh, the Seahawks in the NFC West. Oh, come on. They've got Larry Fitzgerald and and <laughs> and uh all right, you're right. Yeah, him. He's great. Yeah. Uh uh he is he, he's really coming along. I think he was like a third round pick two yeah, years and, ago for the Cardinals. The punter, um yeah, that the <laughs> you know. Come, uh, yeah, he's great. He's great. He's almost as good as the punter uh that Jacksonville drafted. Uh, I know where you're going with this. A couple this. years ago. <laughs> Instead of Russell Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In all fairness, I think that punter's still with the team, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, and you can see the success the Jaguars have had. Yep. And now they're going with Nick Foles, a quarterback. So uh, be prepared for amazingness. The, the Foles <laughs> reunion with amazing. Uh, here it comes. Can't wait. So um, hey, it's going to be a Denver Philadelphia Super Bowl this year. T- 
two ex Super Bowl MVPs moving to different rosters. I mean, it's 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 <laughs> you know, lightning in a bottle, baby. It's going to be the Broncos and the Eagles, Flacco's and Foles Sean, <laughs> going at it. And that could Super possibly Bowl be the worst quarterback matchup in a Super Bowl history. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to think. You know, David Woodley started a Super Bowl, so <laughs> be careful. And Trent Dilfer started a Super Bowl, too. So, yeah, but at least he won. Yeah, he did. Um, well, the defense won. But. Yeah, you know what? That's that's actually a great one. The the Kerry Collins-Trent Dilfer matchup, that would be one to, to, take, to take it on. You know, that was not exactly – lightning in a bottle as far as Super Bowl quarterback matchups. What about the next year with uh, Brad Johnson and, uh, God, Rich Gannon? Yeah, but to be fair, Gannon was at the NFL MVP that year. Yeah. So so I I feel like I see what you're saying, but Gannon that year, and the only reason I even remember that is because in fantasy football, I remember just being shocked that Gannon was carrying – you know, one of uh, my opponent's teams to like just heights and just every week. I'm like, what in God's name has gotten into Rich Gannon? But that was the year that Gannon won the NFL MVP and got the Raiders uh, to the Super Bowl. But that's a, that's still, yeah, that's not Elway Favre, to your point. So, <laughs> Sean, tell me a story about what it was like to play fantasy football back before you had online capabilities. <laughs> It was horrible. <laughs> it was miserable. We started our league in 1994, and I won't even get into some of the nuanced rules in our league because there was no real formats or, you know, there was no ESPN.com. There was none, there, you know, there was none of that. So I found a book, I kid you not, in a bookstore by accident, um, and it was called The Ultimate Fantasy Football League, and it was a book. I mean, it was a 50-page book that these guys up in upstate New York somehow got published, and I bought it, and we built our league off of this, and the one rule that everybody that was part of this, and look, I didn't know any better, so I took those rules as okay this is how you play fantasy football well the one rule is that always throws people and we have long-standing owners but every now and then you know obviously someone drops out the way (laughs) it's even funny now but our, our rosters we have you know idp but we're only allowed one player per NFL team. And the logic in the book was you play NFL, you play fantasy football to enhance your enjoyment of watching NFL football. Okay. That's logical. One of their arguments was if you have, you know, you're forced to have one player on every NFL team in every game, whether there's a starter or not, you have two players going. And seemed reasonable at the time, CJ. Well, we've been going strong for 26 years, and we have this one little kind of archaic rule that when you build your rosters, we have 32 players on our roster, and 
32 NFL teams, one man per NFL team on your roster. And back in the day with IDP, no less, it was get out. We had to, we even had to have a vote that the USA Today would be the official scoring system. I was wondering how you were going to do it. (laughs) Because, well, you know, what would happen was somebody would find an extra tackle or, you know, someone would find something and then they would challenge something. So we all had to like literally as a league agree that, okay, I'm going to use the USA today and whatever the box scores are in the USA today is what we're officially going to use. And yeah, every Monday was sitting there for about two hours, (laughs) basically breaking down by hand points and that probably went on for about five years and then in year six seven is kind of when uh they started developing fantasy football websites and softwares where you know like like we have today where you know you set it all up online and it you know sets up all the scoring foot back in the day man you know when we were walking uphill both ways in the snow (laughs) going to school we had to do it by hand and we had a fax you know, once it was all done, I had to fax everything to everybody, you know, to uh, so they could see the updated standings and the box scores and everything. That was like my Monday, uh, you know, in between working, trying to get all that done and get that out to everybody. So did yeah, you also it's kind listen, of funny. did you also listen to Rush huh? on cassette while you were uh, doing that? Um, yeah, in my IROC, my mullet was just magnificent, if you must know. And I'm sure you took a break once in a while to pull out a yo-yo and uh, whatnot, <laughs> and then put that tape back into the boombox. Yeah, you know those eight tracks, baby. They were uh, they were epic. <laughs> Man, uh, that brings back memories myself. But um. <laughs> So I got to ask you, man, uh, other than Kyler Murray and the other two uh, first round draft picks, are there any draft perspectives out there that are glaring at you right now as possible transcendent talents going into the draft this year? You know, you asked me that and a couple things came to mind. Um, I am a this is kind of sacrilegious to say, but um, I I went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School down in Fort Lauderdale. And if anyone follows high school football on any level, St. Thomas football is one of the top five, six programs in the United States. And Nick Bosa, the Bosa boys both went to St. Thomas. And one of the things that I was wondering is let's say, let's just assume for this conversation, CJ, that Murray goes first. Let's either the Cardinals or let's say the Raiders trade up, but let's just say Murray goes one. Okay. I think we can, that's kind of the overall consensus right now. You know, everyone has Bosa going two and with his injury history, I was curious to ask, you know, with Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen on the board, don't you think, I mean, San Francisco has had some real bad luck with injuries. And I don't know if, now I know Quinn and Williams is more interior. I, I, I would think that the 49ers might be better served taking Josh Allen, who I think is just as good as Nick Bosa. I just think Bosa has a better name. 
you know, to the general public writ large because of his brother. But, you know, he missed all of last year. I mean, he's been nicked up. He was nicked up in high school. He's been nicked up in college. I don't think I think Nick Nick Bosa is a transcendent talent, but it's I don't care how transcendent you are. If you're sitting there watching the game like the rest of the PFT posse, you're only as good as us at that point. So I would take, in my opinion, I would take Josh Allen, who I think is every bit as good as Bosa. And I think he's a much safer pick uh, at two for the 49ers. It's funny you bring that up, uh, how most people had uh, Nick Bosa as number two. I actually just pulled up uh, Walter Football's uh, mock for this year, and they have uh, Keenan Williams and then Nick Bosa going to the Jets at uh, number three. So obviously you're not the only one out there feeling that way. I personally am a big fan of Josh Allen. I think he would be a good edge. So um, he did very well in Kentucky, in my opinion. They got uh, him boasting up here at number five, but – it's a good possibility. I mean, they need something over in San Fran. They need defensive players for sure. They're pretty decent on offense. They could live without taking another wide receiver at this time, but they definitely need something on defense. Yeah. And I, I that, that would be the one I think I, I really like Josh Allen. I really like Devin White, um, the linebacker out of LSU. I think he is going to be a transcendent type of middle linebacker. So he is somebody that I, I I kind of have locked into. I think someone's going to get a steal with Marquise Brown. He's got a uh, list Frank injury, but that's just short-term thinking. I mean, ultimately that's really nothing more than a, um, you know, a, a, a more severe sprained ankle. You know that 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 that's not a knee. That's not something that's overly crippling, especially for a wide receiver. That's something that you can get by. So, I think he might be someone that could end up being a difference maker. And quite honestly, I know you know running backs are. Sorry about that. I just looked over to my right and just saw that UCF just took a three-point lead on Duke. So, well, it's tied now. So, you know, so let me just get back to this. The, um, yeah, that didn't take long. Fucking but, madness. Um, God and I damn it. Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama, might be some – you know, I know taking a running back in the first round is uh, – while it's become a little more in vogue, I think he might be somebody that could be a transcendent talent. But like I said, I mean – if I was one of these top 15 teams, I think you you, you got to get transcendent talents. And if you don't have your quarterback, I mean, I, I know the guy uh, from Florida, Juwan Taylor, is, you know, kind of being thrown around as the top 10 pick. I mean, why? None of those teams in the top 10, you know, who in the top 10 truly has their franchise quarterback? Okay, maybe, maybe the Jets, right, with Darnold, mm-hmm. okay, who else? I mean, Bills, Josh Allen. Okay, I could see that kind of decision-making. I think they have other needs. But, you know, I just don't understand taking, uh, you know, I don't I don't care how good he is. I just don't – you shouldn't be taking an offensive lineman that early. I just, I just, I just don't agree with the 
the methodology and the thought process, unless you are protecting a franchise guy and maybe the jets, maybe the bills have an argument for that, but, uh, you better be a damn good tackle. That's all I got to say. And you better be a damn good left tackle too. Yeah. I mean, with, with the free agent acquisitions that the jets have made, you know, maybe, you know, grabbing an offensive lineman might be the right decision, but trade down. But if you're the Jets at three, get a transcendent talent. Get someone that's going to be a disruptor. You know, I, I don't know. Just I, maybe some, I know a lot of people disagree with that type of thinking, but I, I tend to think out of the box more often than not. Before we uh, move on, what do you think about DK Metcalf? He, he, he is a physical Adonis. He's a fucking beast. But ask yourself last year, when was the last time you remember (laughs) when you remember TK Metcalf? Seriously. Exactly. I personally think that uh, he's pretty raw as far as the route running is concerned, and that could uh, very well hinder him uh, to go down into the mid to late uh, rounds in the first. But um, I don't think that uh, physical Adonis, and yes, I I could honestly agree with you on that, but can he truly run a good route and will he consistently catch the ball and can he create the separation at an NFL level? I don't think so. Call that a hot yeah, take. Yeah, we he did not demonstrate that at all in college. Nope. What is the it's like Montez Sweat. You know, the, the game tape doesn't lie. There were days, there were plays he looked great, but there were more plays where he didn't. I mean, I don't know, the the the, the arrogance sometimes of we'll coach it out of him is I don't know. <laughs> it always impresses me that people have that kind of arrogance when, you know, what's the old line? When people show you who they are, believe them. And with Metcalf and with Montez Sweat, you know, they've shown us who they are. But at the same time, this is also a time when. I think really, really smart NFL personnel people are probably leaking about how much they love Amontez Sweat after the combine, how much they love DK Metcalf to try to push them up the draft so the players they want fall down. There's a reason that a lot of teams year after year are drafting at the top half of this, and there's a reason that a lot of them are drafting at the bottom half. And I think that that's one of the games that gets played in this is – I think a lot of really savvy personnel people feed to media people the information of who they like or who they think. And and in these mock drafts, you see players start to rise. And at the end of the day, they're really not the players that some of the more savvier NFL people want. They're just trying to get them pushed up a little bit because there's a lot of Mock drafts put a lot of pressure on NFL organizations because if there's an expectation by the public that player A is great and they decide not to go with player A, 
let's face it, sometimes it's just easier to take the player that everybody, the fans, everybody thinks is going to be amazing. And then if he fails, you know, you can turn to your fans, you can turn to your owner and say, hey, everybody was in agreement that this was the guy. And so a lot of the a lot of the attention now that is focused around the draft industrial complex puts a lot of pressure on these NFL GMs because they know if they take a player that maybe they believe in, but isn't the general consensus of the Mel Kuypers and Dar- you know, the Jeremiah, David Jeremiah, or yeah, David Jeremiah. And, the, and, and then the fans read that, so the fans, all they know is what they're reading in mock drafts, so they're assuming it's it's really hard to be at, think out of the box and say, you know what, this guy, you know, is ranked 20th or 25th, but we're taking him at 8. And then look happens when you miss, like Blake Bortles. You know, Blake Bortles was not ranked that high, Got Credit to the Jaguars. They believed in him. They they did their homework. They believed in him. They thought he was going to be a difference maker. When they took him, everyone was shocked. Everyone was saying we would have taken him later, this, that, and the other. And then when it doesn't work out, the I told you so's. And I give credit to the Jaguars in that moment to say we did everything and we're we're going against the grain and we're going to do what we believe in. And they took Bortles. It didn't work out. That one. Um, How about the Buffalo Bills? Do you did you ever hear the interview from the former general manager that drafted A.J. Manuel? No. Purposely had him ranked as a second round tier quarterback and picked him in the first round because he said it would be better to draft them in the first round, get him around early than it would be to get him around late. So what do you think about that kind of stupidness? Well, yeah, that's that's not a pick with conviction. I mean, that's you know, the the, the Jaguars were had a had a certain level, you know, they believed in Bortles. From what you're describing from that interview, it doesn't sound like there was a uh, consensus that it, it sounds like even internally they thought Manuel was a second round pick. They just convinced themselves that everybody else loved Manuel too, who definitely checked off a lot of boxes, big, strong, big arm, the whole nine yards, big program out of Florida state. But that doesn't sound to me like they were 100% in on, I mean, what did he go like nine or 10 or something to that effect? I'm trying to remember 11. I, I want to say it was somewhere near 13 or something like that. But, um, right. Did, it sounds to me like one that was scratching you, his head at that. I mean, that was a ridiculous draft pick in my opinion. He yeah. wasn't even rated by anybody for first round. Right. And so that, that, yeah, that, so I feel that's a different there for whatever reason, whatever got in their head. And look, these guys are human. These guys are human. They, 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 they are, Affected by the media, even if we don't believe they are, they are absolutely 100% affected by these things and it can get in their head. And, you know, it, uh, hey, look, you know, the Dolphins took Ted Ginn and, <laughs> you, know, look, you know, the fans went, you know, nuts when that happened. You know, that was the infamous Ted Ginn and his family. 
you know, like the family was going to, you know, do something down Miami as well for the community. I Sometimes, I don't know, but uh, it gets into the belief system, the core of how they pick. And I think that uh, they are, no, I know they are outside of New England, keenly aware of how the public will react to picks based on mock drafts and all the other stuff. So unless you have built that trust with your fan base, it's hard to draft players in the first round. After the first round, I don't, you know, the average fan is, I mean, you can just see that by the attendance on Friday night and Saturday, you know, Oh, they drafted so-and-so out of LSU. I never heard of that guy, but okay. Sounds great. We needed a corner, you know, they don't, after round one, you know, most, 98, 99% of fans have moved on, unlike you and me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that, that that's kind of like my two cents when it comes to, you know, the, the human frailties that uh, invariably affect these guys that have these GM jobs, the 32 guys, you know, that, that ultimately are responsible for these picks. Great perspective. I love it. Um, Let's go ahead and end things on a uh, on. How about the New Orleans Saints? Want to talk about them for a little bit? Sure, real quick. Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, Drew Brees. He's under contract uh, for the remainder of this season, going into the 2020 season as well. Um, on the roster right now, they got Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill as far as the backup quarterbacks to him, and they're both at reasonable cap rates. So, does uh, Drew Brees stay past the season? And if not. Is the next quarterback on the New Orleans Saints roster right now, or what do you think is going to happen in New Orleans? Well, you know, obviously Florio is much more tied in to the NFL than I am. Um, You know, my contacts have definitely moved on, but I don't think Taysom Hill is the long, is in any way, shape, or form going to be the the next quarterback, the next starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. The big thing, and Florio has gotten into my head about this, is will Sean Payton leave the Saints and go to the Cowboys? So if that were to happen, if Jerry Jones was to go all in and make some crazy trade to get Payton to the Cowboys, that's going to change everything because I think Peyton and Breeze are going to kind of, they're going to be together. I think, you know what I'm saying? I don't think Breeze is going to go with Peyton and I don't think Peyton is going to leave, you know, is going to play without Breeze. Once that dynamic ends, we shall see. Once you bring in a new quarter, a new coach, I think then at that point, CJ, all bets are off as far as Teddy Bridgewater, as far as that team, as far as what the new coach would want moving forward. If Peyton is still there after Breeze, then I think Bridgewater might have an opportunity or a shot, but I think Peyton's going to have his eye the next couple of years like he did with Mahomes. Um, you know, Mahomes would be on the roster if the Chiefs didn't make a huge, bold move and get ahead of him. So I think that, 
right now the Saints are going to be playing it out with Breeze, but I think you, I, I wouldn't even be shocked if the Saints had an eye on a quarterback in this year's draft if the right one fell or someone Peyton loved. So to answer your question, that's a roundabout way of saying it's too uncertain to figure out what's going to happen in New Orleans in the next two years. But do you think that Drew Brees is going to retire next year? I would say yes. Good choice. I think, honestly, he's getting to the age now. And his performance last year towards the end of the season was starting to show uh, father time was starting to catch up with him. It looked like, you know, I, I, I disagree with you and Florio on this. I know that Florio has been kicking around the idea that maybe Breeze was hurt. Uh, someone who is intensely watching the Saints. I felt that. I personally felt that the offensive play calling got a little stale. I felt like the Saints in the first half of the year were really clicking on offense. And I think Peyton was really clicking with Breeze on play calling and what they were doing on offense. I truly feel that after they had those two big wins, you know, they beat the Rams at home and then, you know, then they beat the Eagles and they blew them out. I feel like the Saints got a little comfortable and kind of figured they had kind of cornered the market on offense. And I kind of, I, I'm not 100% on board with the theory that Breeze showed any where. I, I really felt that the there was a certain level of arrogance in the play calling that came from Peyton. I think a lot of teams were doing different things on defense to eliminate what the saints did best, namely Michael Thomas and Kamara. And they were making uh, breeze and the offense beat them with other weapons. And I feel like new Orleans did not adjust well enough um, in the final weeks. And then obviously in the playoffs. So you know, everyone complains about that final call or, you know, with with one minute to go in the Saints game. And trust me, my wife lives and dies with Nola. But even she said, you know, at the beginning of that game, they got down within they got down in the red zone twice and settled for field goals. And if you rewatch that game, the play calling just seemed you know, a little tired. It just didn't, you know, I think he a little too cute with Taysom Hill. And I think I could be wrong, but I've, I personally felt that maybe Peyton was drinking his own Kool-Aid, you know, especially after Peter King did that, you know, article on him and breeze and how, you know, they work together and they pick their plays. I think they were kind of drinking their own Kool-Aid a little bit the second half of the season and it, and it caught up to them. You very well could be right, and I very well could be wrong, but uh, the the reason I said that in the first place is that there was a shift in off in the past two seasons, a uh, shift in offensive philosophy as far as um, Sean Payton is concerned. They leaned a lot on the second half of the season to their running backs, so it was making me start to think, and, and when they did pass, it, it felt like his throws weren't as crisp as they used to be, but they leaned a lot more on the running backs, and that's why I think that Drew Brees might have either 
had less of a hitch in his giddy up or was possibly injured because they really shifted towards the Alvin Kamara and uh, the other guy who just got signed by the Baltimore Ravens that I'm blanking on for some reason. Yes, thank you. Don't know why I blanked on him, but um, they leaned on those running backs quite heavily for the last half of the season, whether it was uh, swing passes, whether it was running right up the gut, doing off tackle, they definitely shifted more towards the running backs as opposed to Drew's arm. Like I said, we'll never know. Well, it, it, you know, when it comes to an injury to Breeze or whatever the case may be, he was never on the injury report. So true. We're, we're never going to truly know the answer to this. We're just suspecting. But as someone who really pays attention to Saints football, <laughs> it's, you know, of my opinion that I, I felt that uh, the Saints offense was feeling their genius a little too much and anything they called was going to work and we're brilliant. And I, I look, these guys are human. And I think that they were at the second half of the year, they were, they were teams kind of figured out what to take away. And I kind of felt like Peyton was forcing a, instead of adjusting to what, you know, defenses were doing, they were going to continue to cram what was working the first half of the year down people's throat because that's just how smart they were. And I would use as a evidence to that, look at what happened to Sean McVay in the Super Bowl. You know, he was going to, we're, we're running this game plan. (laughs) Hell or high water. We're not changing, baby. You know, uh, you know, that old, that old, you know, dance with what brung you. Yeah. That's a, that works if you win, (laughs) you know, so when you score three points, you know, maybe we make a change here. So I think some of these guys, you know, these quote unquote offensive geniuses, you know, they're human. (laughs) I hear you. It it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, you know, so that was, that's, I don't, I I think that uh, that was more what happened to the saints in the second half of the season. Um, But we'll never, we'll never know the answer to that. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the saints this year. They, they're going to have to file away two straight years of bitter disappointment with the Vikings and then obviously the Rams to, you know, as Florio says, the Valley of O and O. So we'll see if they can, you know, dig deep for one, you know, last hurrah with Breeze because obviously unlike Brady, who's going to play till, you know, he's 90, everyone else seems to, uh, you know, Father Time seems to find them. If that ain't the truth, I don't know what is. It's it's going to happen <laughs> eventually. I, I personally am of the opinion that after 2019, he's done. But um, I I don't know. Look at Mahomes. So clearly, Peyton is of the opinion <laughs> that it's sooner rather than later. Yep, he was definitely all aboard as far as the Patrick Mahomes bandwagon. And now, could you imagine if they freaking got Mahomes down in New Orleans? No, I I, I thought about it. No, trust me, I I try not to think about it. (laughs) It's it's mental masturbation, I know, but goddamn, that would have been awesome. I would love to see the competition between those two. Dome, 
Yeah, Dome, Michael Thomas. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought about Mahomes in a in the floor to leave, but best not to spend too much time thinking about it because it only is depressing. <laughs> well. I think I've uh, grabbed quite enough of your time. I really appreciate you coming on board today, Sean. Um, got a lot of information. Well, I love out of your you. podcast, and I love the, you know, I love the posse when they're on. So uh, I think you're doing a great job with this, and uh, I really appreciate. And then somewhat humbled that uh, you, you brought me back on, and look forward to doing it again. Well, you uh, were actually in high demand. A lot of people came back to me and said, when are we getting Sean back on? And I said, well, <laughs> let me see what his availability is, and I'll, uh, I'll oblige, because I certainly enjoyed it. They certainly enjoyed it. You were one of the higher-rated uh, episodes as far as downloads, so I got no problem with bringing you on anytime you want to come on. Well, give my love to the PFT Posse, and uh, I'm glad that Tyler is on the mend. As someone who had a surprise appendectomy myself two years ago, I really, truly felt for the man, um, and I'm glad he's uh, on the upswing, and I'm glad uh, that the Posse, and I am really was just thrilled with, you know, Mike did for Tyler. So, uh, you know, awesome. hashtag PFTM Posse. Let's let's keep it let's keep it rolling. I hear that. So thanks very much for your time today, man, and uh, we'll be talking again.